Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at vigorbranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by Adam Galloni. He's the president and CMO of Romantic Brothers out of, uh, well, based in Western PA, but rapidly growing. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Say hello and give a little bit of history. Yeah, hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, Adam Gollum from Annie Brothers, uh, 89-year-old iconic restaurant chain based in Pittsburgh. I'm the uh, president, chief marketing officer. Uh, just celebrated three years with the brand, uh, but have about 20 to plus years in restaurant, grocery store, convenience store marketing, um, and business management. Nice. So for those, so I know because I, I grew up around a bunch of Steelers fans. So Permanente is a, an institution to say the least. If you've watched any football games that are based in, um, in the Steelers nation, as it were, they probably covered Permanente every once in a mm-hmm. while. Um, but for those that don't know, explain the magic of Permanente brothers. Yeah. So, uh, first off, huge Steelers win last night. Um, end of the big Ben era, probably. I think he's still going to come back for another year just to pull it over everybody. But uh, founded in 1933, um, the idea was it was a sandwich cart. And the idea was that um, and there's about five different stories out there. But truck drivers in the produce yards of Pittsburgh only had one hand to eat. So uh, Joe Permanti had this brilliant idea of taking uh, French fries, coleslaw, tomatoes, cheese and meat and putting it all between two uh, fresh baked slices of Italian bread. And fast forward to 2022, the brand is uh, thriving, growing, um, but still true to its iconic roots, um, to this tied to this amazing iconic sandwich. Um, we call it almost famous, but it truly is a famous sandwich. Um, and uh, it's got great ties to Pittsburgh, but it's really been able to transcend the Pittsburgh Steelers and grow beyond that into kind of the, the enemy territories. Yeah, it's it's actually amazing. I mean, uh, r- rare is the case that I really focus in on food. Uh, of course, food matters, the quality of the food, the flavor of the food, people liking it, of course, matters. Um, but usually it's so much more. And I think um, with Permanente, it really does start with that iconic sandwich. It's, uh, it is it is truly a game day, decadent meal. It, and it, yeah. is, it, I mean, it is delicious. It's a- it's like a pound of food. Um, little unknown fact, there is less calories in a Permani sandwich than in a Chipotle burrito. Oh, well. Um, you know, you can yeah. a little known, unknown fact. But, yeah, I mean, it is a uh, decadent, uh, you know, unbelievable kind of like all meal in one thing sandwich, um, often imitated, never duplicated. Um, and, and then, you know, as the years have gone on, you know, we'd love to have everyone have a sandwich every time they come in. But uh, we know that people want more than that. So we've expanded our menu with pizza and wings salads, burgers, um, you know, just yeah. really grown the menu to give you kind of more variety, even though the sandwich is still the hero of, of the concept. Yeah. And, and, and a hero it is for sure. And it's definitely talked about. I mean, once you've had a romantic sandwich, you, you tend to tell a lot of people, um, b- back in 2018, you, you joined the brand as CMO. 
And then after a few years, you, you took the the helm, you know, as president, and you've been doing a lot of great things there. What what, in your opinion, has been the key to the success in your efforts for the brand and for your career as a whole? Because I think there's there's two questions there. One is like I'm a I'm a bur- you know budding marketing person who wants to grow in the restaurant industry. So there's that whole tract of your professional career, but then Fermenti's been growing, like you've said, and this is a legacy. Uh, could be a legacy brand, but yet it's maintained relevance and continues to thrive. So some, some tips and ideas of what have gotten you there. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. I mean, we, for 89 years old, we're still relevant. We're not an oldies act. Um, you know, I mean, I've watched many brands come and go and, um, you know, few have stayed relevant over the years. So I think that's the first thing is we've stayed relevant. I think it's, um, being up to the times, but also being kind of, uh, to the past, but we've embraced technology in a big way. Um, we look like the smartest people in the room because we did a lot of things pre-pandemic. We are anything but the smartest people in the room um, from a tech investment. I think we just made some really right decisions. Um, but, you know, the big thing I brought, um, my last job before joining Permanis was with uh, Giant Eagle, which is a large uh, grocery convenience retailer, um, about 500 locations, uh, but has the number one loyalty program in the grocery industry. And I brought a lot of the thinking that I learned there. Um, over my seven years there to, to the restaurant space of, um, you know, really insights based decision-making, um, you know, how do you find things, uh, that make sense to people? How do you find things that, uh, in the, in, in your data, um, and bring it to life in a restaurant was still the magic of an 89 year old brand. Um, so we've got a lot, it's like the Willy Wonka, um, or the wizard of Oz. We got a lot of things going behind the scenes, uh, that the, the, we call our customers fans. Uh, that the fan doesn't notice, but it um, allows us to communicate with them in a very efficient one-to-one method. Um, you know, on a smaller brand, we're we're punching way above our weight class with kind of the marketing technology stack we built. Um, yeah, with I, I was really impressed by that when when you started talking to me about some of the things that you've been using, um, how you've been integrating them, and and the uh, strides you've made forward. And what I found with a lot of uh, brands of similar size of Permanti is getting that buy-in from leadership. Uh, a lot of times it's a little difficult. Um, they see it as an expense, not an investment. They're unsure of the return. Um, how one, if you could, uh, without giving away the, the secret sauce, uh, talk about some of those systems that you have been integrating, some of the data that you have been pulling in and how you're using it, but also how, how did you get that buy-in from higher ups that may have been a little bit more, um, uh, resistant to the idea? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, let's start with the buy-in piece. I mean, I was brought in, um, to kind of, you know, what had got us there wasn't going to get us where we needed to go. Um, you know, I think I have tremendous respect for the brand. I grew up with Permani, so I mean, huge respect for it. But what the the marketing plan of the kind of the 2015 to 2018 wasn't going to get us, you know, to 2025, um, even without the pandemic. I mean, no one knew that was coming. But uh, we knew we needed to make some digital strides. And, um, you know, it started with our CEO, um, our board embracing kind of the plan I laid out. Um, you know, and then it was getting kind of finance IT on board. Um, you know, I'm sure there are days the IT team does not, you know, thoroughly love the work we bring. Um, but we have a strong, uh, point of sale platform underneath it all, uh, NCR Aloha, um, that kind of, that's the basis of everything we do is integrating into our point of sale. Um, and then went out and looked at the marketplace and tried to understand, are there, um, best in class people? Or do you need to find somebody that uh, can do it all? And after looking in the space, there really isn't anyone that can do it all um, good. So we went out and put together a good marketing tech stack with a bunch of people that integrate into each other um, that were kind of uh, best in class in their segment um, and build it off that. 
Yeah, the integration thing I think has been one of the biggest um, kickers. I mean, as as technology grows and innovation grows outside of the restaurant space, it seems like you have legacy systems like, sorry, you know, NCR Aloha is mm-hmm. been around forever, um, who have tried to backfill that that integration and connectivity. Um, and then you have systems like, uh, let's say Q, which they've been on the show, they're friends, uh, but they, they built their system API forward for integration. And it just seems like there's a gamut in between that all these different systems. And if you're not careful, you end up with, uh, these, these software as, uh, as a service, like almost death by a thousand cuts when it comes to the monthly price. How have you negotiated prices that fit your budget, uh, found the systems that truly do integrate and don't just say it? Um, you know, I, I assume it's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think we've looked for, um, we do do a lot of software as a service. So I'm um, death by a thousand cuts is probably the model we go with. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we look for partners like Olo, like Patronix, um, that are best in their space um, and try to bolt it on. It actually, from a software as a service standpoint, you know, having 40 locations, um, it's actually very affordable because you can get big time systems and you don't have to, you know, build things. Also, you know, Giant Eagle, we had 400 people in IT. We had 80 to 100 people who woke up every day and all they thought about was the loyalty program. And uh, coming into Permanis, I knew we weren't going to build that. Um, you know, so that was, I think also a realization that you need to go out and find people that can build things for you, um, that are building them for bigger restaurant chains that have a roadmap that are delivering product enhancements that allow you to be part of that roadmap. Um, that was really key to us also was like trying to find partners where, cause we're never going to be anyone's biggest client, nor should I ever be anyone's biggest client at my size. Um, so it was like finding people that respected the brand, respected, um, us, um, you know, knew we were never gonna be their biggest client, but knew we could do a lot of cool things and would allow us into kind of their footprint. Um, that was really important as we looked at partners. Yeah. And, and it seems like you found a nice suite that really do talk to each other. We, we come up upon tech stacks that where salespeople say they integrate and maybe they sort of do, but not quite the level that we were looking for. Um, but integration is one layer. I think it's once you have that stuff integrated and you're getting data and you know, it's the learning level where I think a mm-hmm. lot of brands fall short because you can easily set it and forget it. You can easily say, here's our loyalty system, you know, buy nine, get the 10th free, or, you know, here's your deal for signing up. Um, how, how, what's been your approach to leveraging and really maximizing the opportunity from the data that you're getting? So I think it's a couple of things. One, we do have a kind of a set it and forget it, but the set it and forget it to get the data um, because you need something for people to give you their data. Um, especially in today's environment. So that's the first thing. We do have a set it, or call it a set and forget it. We are actively always looking at it. But then, um, you know, I, I use the analogy when I came in is it was uh, it was third and 10, you know, and football analogy, it's third and 10, and we were running the same play and expecting different results. Um, is that a Raiders joke? It's kind of It might have been Steeler. It might have been half the Steeler <laughs> season. Um, third and 10, and we're trying to, we're doing, you know, quick passes. But uh, that was really the key to the team was that, um, and then partnering with, you know, great partners and their teams and their analytics teams to try to understand and look for things in the data. Um, and then trying things. I think it's the biggest thing I believe in this idea of do it wrong quickly. Um, you know, kind of stole that from Google, but, uh, the idea of, you know, trying a couple different things and seeing what works, see what doesn't work. Um, you know, I tell the team, if we're not failing, we're not trying enough. Um, you know, if we're not, if we're doing 10 tests and all we're successful, we didn't push the limits to where we need to go. 
um, to try some things that aren't going to be successful. So, you know, it's really try things, learn, try things, learn, you know, keep tweaking. Don't be, don't settle in, um, you know, always try to beat the the best um, case. So, you know, I think the big opportunity for us as we look into kind of 2022 is a lot of email, SMS, subject line, message testing to understand like which messages resonate the most in driving traffic through the door. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm on this um, losing mission to eliminate the word blast from the vernacular associated with emails because it's just such the wrong mentality. I wrote a book a few years ago called Stop Blasting My Mama that that, that sought to help do that because uh, the idea is like the, the the person receiving this, it's my mom, it's your mom, it's yeah. you know, your dad. Like don't blast them. They don't want to get blasted. They, they want something of value and that doesn't necessarily mean a deal. It can mean an insider track or information or something that they know that someone else doesn't. Just something of value and as far as we've come with technology, email is still a fantastic media outlet to actually communicate with the people that want to hear from you. I think um, I told you this, Joe, is it, um, it, if you've never bought a kid's meal from us, I shouldn't be sending you kid's meal advertising. Right. So, you know, I think that's the most base level thinking, um, is, is to start using the data. Uh, if you're a wing buyer, then let's give you wing messages that make sense to you. Um, and then let's try to stretch you. Um, you know, in the grocery, uh, store business, we, you know, there's something like 97% of Americans buy toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, still trying to figure out where those 3% are that don't, <laughs> and, you know, and Nielsen brought that data to us when I was in grocery and, uh, we started looking through our data and it was like 30, 40% of our customers had bought toilet paper from us. And then you kind of dig into the insights of why, and you go speak to people. And it was a lot about price, um, and size and, you know, my shopping cart's already full. I can't fit it in there. But it was really about looking at messaging, looking at um, service, looking at all those things to try to get that toilet paper sale because we know everyone's buying it. Um, so how do we, right. you know, how do we get that sale? Which is once you get in the storage, every sale adds up, and and bringing that thinking to the restaurant space also. Yeah, I think that's really important to actually not just like look at the data, acknowledge the data, but um, dig underneath it. And, and gosh, this sounds like trite. Silicon Valley marketing speak, but what's the story behind the data? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I said to a friend of mine recently, uh, he was trying to throw stats at me to try to convince me of something. And I was like, that's all well and good. I was like, here's a stat for you. Uh, the majority of drownings happen because of water. Does that make water evil? <laughs> no, it, it's just like, let's find out the story. You know, the story that water may be the mechanism for the death, but what caused that scenario? Oh, people don't know how to swim. Okay, let's solve that problem. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of leaders maybe either fall short or don't do enough work to find that next layer or the layers below it where you can actually start to identify opportunities like you said. Um, are there any scenarios that you've encountered where that, that's gone well? No, I mean, I think the – I can't think of anyone off the head, but I think it's the idea of asking why five times. Um, so you keep peeling back that onion. Yeah, is that uh, Toyota, I believe? That is Toyota, yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, been through the lean manufacturing process and the whole, you know, world of Kaizen and all those things. And, um, you know, the Toyota model was to keep asking the word why five times until you got to the answer. Um, and I think it's the same thing of um, doing data. You know, when you look at your data is to ask, is it causal? Is it correlated? Um, you know, on, on paper, you go, well, we're selling more of X. Well, why are we selling more of X? Um, and trying to understand that, um, and trying to do some basket analysis and trying to understand, you know, are those things 
causal or are they correlated? Um, and keep asking the word why um, multiple times. Yeah, it's a fantastic exercise. I think I, um, shameless plug, mentioned it in my book in trying to find out the purpose of a brand and really trying to dig in. But if we take the drown, just for people who are listening or unfamiliar, if we take the drowning um, and water scenario that I just brought up as a joke, but you know, Hey, majority of deaths, ha- majority of drowning deaths happen because of water. Why? Well, people um, are swimming in quarries. Why? Cause they don't have access to public pools. Why it's underfunded. Why is it underfunded? Because other funds have been placed elsewhere, you know? Right. Okay. So now we kind of know, at least a couple layers of issues that we could potentially fix. Um, you know, it could go another way too. Oh, the quarry doesn't have a fence around it. Why doesn't it have a fence around it? Because it's not required. And, you know, and I think these, these questions are really important to ask in a way that's not confrontational, but evocative, um, making sure that people realize that they're safe at the table, like you said, to fail. Um, and I think that's where, Quite honestly, a lot of ad agencies and those who hold the relationships with those agencies fall short, where it's ad agencies are brought in to basically have the solution. And when there's a miss, it's immediately, well, they're horrible. They don't know what they're doing or we can't trust them. Um, whereas I'm, I'm with you where it's like, yeah, we want success. We're on the same page, but you do have to dare to fail. You have to dare, dare to miss the mark. But so long as you're learning from it. And, and growing from it. Um, you know, what, what are some pivots that you've had to do or something that's been surprising, right? Like you put out a promotion or you put out a new product and, and you thought it was going to go gangbusters and it just didn't. And what did you learn from that? I mean, I've had many of those in my life. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's always, I would say you get to, you get to a place where you speak to yourselves um, and uh, you think something's better than it is. Um, so, you know, we've had those, I think we've had some of those learnings internally where we come up with an idea that we think's better. Um, and it doesn't come to life. I think the, um, early learning was to try to understand, you know, we're only as good as the operations delivers on. So having, uh, working with our operators to make sure things are executable, um, is key, you know, pivot. I mean, we've pivoted so much in the last two years. Um, you know, we were pivoting daily, um, from that standpoint. So I think that's, that, you know, there was that piece to it. It was like almost, uh, oh, a daily, weekly pivot, um, and trying to understand, I think the biggest thing is trying to understand what our operations team can execute on and what they can't, um, and, and giving them things that they can execute on because if it's a greatest promotion in the world, but it can't be executed on operationally, it's a, it's a disaster. Yeah. Every single time. Um, how, how do you guys go about, I guess, uplifting the skills of operations to make sure they actually can activate? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, hey, I've, I have the benefit of the benefit in the curse that I now oversee operations and marketing. So the benefit is I can get things done. The curse is I no longer complain that operations can't get things done and no longer can operations complain marketing can't get things done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the... You're, you're like uh, a Spider-Man meme where you're pointing at each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's, it's, it's first off building, um, building relationships, you know, coming in and finding out who are the, um, the people that will tell you the truth. Um, and getting people that have good credibility in the system. Um, so when we have ideas, you know, those are the the people I go to first. Um, we've got some people that will test technology that are great testers of marketing technology that are, and are very honest, um, with their feedback. You know, the last thing you want somebody to say, it's great. And then you roll it out and it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also, you know, say, Hey guys, this is your reputation. You're putting this out there that you're saying it's, you know, it, it works. But that's always the first phase. Always go um, with my group of operators to understand what works, what doesn't work with them. 
um, get their thoughts. And then from there, you know, we usually we put it into a real world test, a couple locations and then work out the kinks and then go to, um, full rollout, um, and re and iterate on feedback. Um, you know, interesting enough, one of my tech testers is probably the worst at technology in our company and he'll <laughs> tell you that, but I always say if he can execute it, anyone can execute it. I thought you were going to say it was my mom, but that's... No. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, those are the... Yeah, I think it's the key is having those relationships, um, you know, supplier relationships. Supply chain can't be even more important today than it's ever been. Right. Uh, making sure you build relationships with suppliers to make sure they have your product. Um, last thing you want to do is drive traffic into the restaurants and you don't have product available. Right. Well, and so that, that uncovers a, a, a unique element um, of the tech scenario and the story, which is the usability, that user experience. And I feel like, mm-hmm. um, you know, historically, a, a lot of tech brands have created a system that actually works really well, like the underbelly, but it has this highly unusable face. Um and there's also that brand level of like, what is the Permanti experience versus Burger King versus yeah. a salad company, you know? Um, and, and how's it different? I think that's one, been one of the issues that I've had, let's say with Olo, which is great system, best in class for a reason. But unless you invest a heap of uh, capital into creating your own uh, usability experience on top of it, you're really stuck with what they have. And um, there's seen to date have been just giant divide between brand website, we'll call .com, and ordering experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think many people have really fused it well enough. Maybe Taco Bell a little bit, um, but they, they, they were built on um, Tilster last time I checked, which is a bit of a bumpy platform. Um, how, how have you guys smoothed over that transition and how have you been able to at least control enough of the usable uh, the, the user experience to make it unique to Permantis? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think Olo's weakness is their front end. Um, you know, I tell them that to their face. You know, they spent three years on that serve refresh. I was like, who spends three years developing a front end in this environment? You know, um, but we we built our own custom front end. Um, we used a company called Capri out of Columbus, Ohio, um, that bolts into Olo. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is use, we use the same design firm. Um, a, a Pittsburgh design shop to do the design of our website and the design of, of our online ordering. So at least it feels together. Um, we're in the process of redoing our online app so that everything feels like it comes out of the same um, platform so it doesn't feel disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that's really the the key. And, you know, for our size chain, we're, we're thinking about this completely different than most people. I mean, I don't think any, very few 40 location chains are designing custom front ends to Olo. Um, right. You know, so I think, yeah, I think that's the key is you got to, you have to know what works for you. Also, I think for us, we want it to feel like the brand, we want to feel contemporary, but authentic um, and historic. We don't want to feel flashy. We're not, we're not sweet greens. Um, right. you know, so it's, how do you, how do you start with the design tenants and using a design firm that does a lot of our design work and a Pittsburgh based design firm um, that lives, eats, sleeps the brand. Um, has been powerful um, to at least keep the look and feel consistent across the board. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, doing things behind the scenes like AI-driven um, upsell recommendations, people don't need to know that's happening, just that the upsell recommendation makes sense to them when it comes to checkout. Um, right. You know, that's the stuff that behind the scenes can be flashy and doesn't need to be, um, people don't need to know that's happening. Um, so, 
Yeah, like you said, if I'm checking out, I really don't need to get upselled to a kids meal. No, yeah. but if and, and if you have a you know if you have a drink in your cart, why would I suggest you another drink? Right, um, needs to be know. pretty intuitive. Yeah, um, and that, that seems to be missing as well. I mean, the systems are catching up, and I think um, you know one of one of the predictions I have for this year for the industry is we're going to start to see a bit of more convergence, either in, by way of acquisition and integration like that, or by um, rebuilding systems so they're stronger. Like, you know, harping back on emails, I feel like email marketing is something that's tacked on to every tech system, but none of them do it very well. Um, like being able to A-B split test, being able to create mm-hmm. responsive emails and the stuff that like MailChimp uh, and some others do very well. Uh, but we, we've got to start seeing some convergence happen. Otherwise it is, you know, your budget ends up being all these line items of software as a service as opposed to like maybe one chunk that's a little bit less and optimized. I think that's something that we'd all like to see. Um, and it even gets more exacerbated as you start to bring in third-party delivery and their fees and everything, which I don't vilify yeah. them for. I mean, that's their business model. And if you were good enough, you would create your own <laughs> delivery system for your restaurant. Um, but it, it's it's pretty tough. So what, what do you think the restaurant industry needs to you know, how, how do they need to adjust to get better at adopting and integrating tech? What needs to happen? I think the, um, you know, I think the biggest opportunity, um, and I use Magento when I did some e-commerce work, so I'll go back to Magento, but really Shopify probably is Magento of today. Magento was, you know, unbelievable back in the day. Um, but the idea of a plug and play ecosystem, um, where you don't need developers to, um, plug a module in, um, I think that's where Olo could really take it to the next level. Um, and they're getting there. They're starting to build an ecosystem. But my ability to go look and go, wow, there's this really cool um, chatbot tool that I could plug into Olo. Okay, well, here's the click this button, click that button, and it's live. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's what sort of Shopify Magento. Yeah, I mean that's Shopify Magento built, um, and Shopify's you know it's it allows a smaller person to rival the the, the big guys. Um, you know, I think that's where the the biggest opportunity. Comes and I think just continue to integrate more. Um, and it's it's been you know we're we're pushing more and more stuff through the Olo platform. Uh, all third parties go through there because it makes operations life easier uh, mm-hmm. to have those orders automatically injected into the point of sale versus tablets. Yeah, so, the, the the bank of tablets that you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big Q four initiative was to get rid of tablets, um, which we've done. Um, we still have two tablets. We still have Wisely, which is now Olo for waitlist. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Olo integrates them. And we have Flyby, which is our GPS uh, curbside pickup system. Um, so we still have tablets, but not all the the tablets we had before for uh, third party, which has been a real win for operations. Yeah. And, and just user experience there, too. I mean, it's ugly to see all that stuff. I mean, yeah. Um, and we've done nice jobs. Hey, I give our construction team a lot of credit and a lot of our operators credit to cleaning it up and getting some nice racking and yeah. charging stations. But still, it's still, you know. Tablets you, tablets. you end up with that like grandpa, like, you know, uh, power strip with all these wires. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you guys are a little bit lucky because, you know, you do have a bar, uh, but you all, you are full service for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, QSRs and fast casuals, I mean, you have that thing behind the counter. It's, it's just an eyesore. So it's definitely something that has to be figured yeah, out. Yeah. I think the other opportunity, um, which I haven't seen anyone do this yet, um, and I'm sure somebody out there has done it, but the ability to use, um, an AI tool to look at uh, volume in the restaurant and then throttle online ordering based on what's going on in the restaurant in real time. Mm. So I've, I've, there's many, you know, even Olo has a throttling tool, but that looks at what's going on in online world. 
um, which doesn't know what's going on in the restaurant in real time. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, that's the Holy grail to be able to say, okay, it's two o'clock. Um, there's no one in the restaurant. So normally I say 20 minutes for an online order, but since there's no one here, I can do it in eight minutes. Um, right. Or it's seven o'clock on a Friday night and my restaurant's packed and I can't pump out these orders in 20 minutes. Um, in, in real time, looking at the queue in the restaurant and, um, adjusting traffic, ba- adjusting timing based on that, I think is the, uh, the real win. And I think ultimately, you know, you got to look at, we got to look at our kitchen. It's harder to go back and retrofit 40 kitchens, but we got to look at our kitchens going forward mm-hmm. and understand, do we need equipment? Do we need process? Do we need layout, um, to handle online? Online is not going away. Uh, cur- off-premise isn't going away. Um, it, you know, I hate to say new normal, but it is the new normal that off-premise is a dramatically bigger chunk of the business. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah, measurable. And that's every single model. model. Um, cool. Well, cool. so what, what is the, what's nice for Permantes? What's the growth of the future look like? Um, what can we see coming down the pike, the, the turnpike to be exact? Yeah, literally down the, um, so uh, look into, uh, so we just opened a location in November. I'm excited to open a location after about a year and a half. Um, uh, about an hour outside Pittsburgh doing phenomenal, uh, you know, uh, traffic backup, stay of opening, uh, unbelievable applicant flow uh, for new jobs. We've got a couple locations um, this year we're going to announce hopefully soon. Um, we got one that we are just in the, we are on like the one yard line. Um, and then uh, we've got, you know, we're going to do some remodels, some expansions. We've got some opportunities out there in existing buildings um, and investing in kind of the curbside um you know, we rolled curbside out in about, I want to say three weeks was probably, probably shorter than that. We need to go back and make oh. some facility improvements, um, one for the fan and two for our, our, our team. Um, so it makes their lives easier to operate this takeout business. Um, you know, continue to be digital, continue to drive loyalty. Um, you know, online ordering is, we'll continue to focus on that and push it and uh, improve it, you know, we'll, we'll at least constantly reiterate and iterate and, um, try to make it better for the, the, the user. And, um, but we're still going to be, you know, pumping out the sandwich. It's still about what we've done for 89 years. You know, we're going to make some, some new items, um, hopefully celebrate a steel or super bowl. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe not, but, uh, you know, it, it really excited about, uh, 2022. Um, the company is, you know, coming off a great 2021, uh, really, you know, um, saw some great results fans just really embrace the brand and um we're excited as we get into 2022 and you know hope to have another 89 years i love it so probably the most important question in the entire interview which is if it's your last night on earth what is the final meal and drink that you would have it doesn't have to be a permanent it can just be in general no i mean i think you know my my wife and i did our honeymoon in Kauai um at the princeville resort and there's this uh room there called the living room, which is really they take part of the lobby and open up these windows over the ocean and um, having sushi there. So that's that, I think that'd be it, you know, uh, our goal is to get back there at some point, um, you know, for a, a anniversary trip, but that really would be where I'd end up probably and see if we can get a permanent sandwich there also next to the sushi. I love it. Yeah. Have it shipped in <laughs> at least until you can expand there. Um, Adam, this has been fantastic. Thanks for your time, your insight yeah, thanks, Joe. and your brilliance. And we'll talk real soon. Yeah.
If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.